Good morning. Uh, we'll be in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31, if you want to turn there. Apologize to Tim. Whenever you're preparing a sermon and you start going through some scriptures, you're like, oh, that's good. Uh, oh, that next verse is good. Uh, well, heck, I'll just have him read the whole book. So thanks, Tim, for reading all that uh, very, very uh, long scripture. Uh, we have a lot to do, so I'm just going to jump right into it. But I'm going to set up three real-life scenarios for you, and I want you to kind of put yourself into those shoes and kind of see yourself in that situation. So for the first scenario, scenario one. So let's say for the sake of discussion, you have a family, as most of you do, and not only a family, but an extended family that you're very close to. You guys live in the same community. You go to the same schools. You share a lot of the same things. You also attend the same church where you worship together, and it's a church that's been around for hundreds of years and that your family is very, very a part of, and it's really become part of your identity. Uh, you attend at least every Sunday morning for worship and Wednesday night for a time of fellowship and also for Bible study as well. Um, and you've attended for so long that these people in your church are almost just like the immediate family that you have. You love for them and you care about them very deeply. And then Wednesday night rolls around as usual. Most of us rush home from work. Uh, we come in, uh, we're usually late, we're getting the kids, we're trying to get them dressed. You're texting your son uh, who's old enough to drive and he's usually late and you're trying to make sure he's going to be there on time. And you finally make it, you sit down at Bible study, the kids are off to class and you're able to kind of relax and get things going. Uh, however, there's a new face this time, clearly an outsider, somebody you haven't seen before, and you know, you don't really feel like getting out of your comfort zone and talking to them, but you know what the scriptures tell you, so you get up and you go over out of your comfort zone and you tell them welcome to your church and introduce yourself, and uh, then you go on with the Bible study as normal. Uh, the evening starts to wind down, your son shows up during the Bible study, and right when you're about ready to leave, that outsider brandishes a gun and points it at you. You can see the hate in his actions, and you can see the brokenness deep in his eyes. And before he fires a shot, your son jumps in front of you and takes a bullet that was meant for you. The shooter then proceeds to shoot and reload as fast as he can in the middle of your church, in the middle of your Bible study. And all you can do is lay still and pretend to be dead, shielding your granddaughter as your son is bleeding out next to you on the ground. Then suddenly the shooting ends, and the shooter's gone, and it's over just as fast as it started. And many of your church family and immediate family lay dead around you, and you're left with the question of why. Why did this happen? Why in a church? Why would the people of God, why would he let this happen to them? Um, but later on, the shooter's caught, and you get a chance to address this guy, the guy who murdered your family members, murdered your son, murdered your church family, and you get a chance to address him. And before you go together to address him, the other members who also lost people all come together, and somebody says, hey, you know what? Instead of berating this guy, what if, what if we forgive him? What if we pray for him? What if we tell him to repent? What if we share the gospel with this guy? Some of the people in the group are probably reluctant at first, and even yourself, but then everyone agrees and agrees to share the gospel and to forgive this person. Despite the great suffering that they just, they just lost and the suffering they are go, going through, they decided to forgive this person. Now, the world is going to assign different things to this. They're going to call this crazy. They're going to call this unwise, or they're even going to call this foolishness. That someone would be so quick to forgive a person that took the most beloved thing from them. So now scenario two. So put yourself in this position. Let's say you grew up in a foreign country, and you immigrated here with your family to the United States. Once you got here, your father divorced your mother and took off, and you were forced to help, help your family survive. So you moved to an area where it's cheaper cost of living, and then you end up really enjoying this country, really loving this country, 
and you decide that you want to serve it more. And so you join, the, you join the military, you join the army. And not only do you just join the army, but you go through some of the most elite training that the army has to offer. You spend a lot of time, a lot of suffering, a lot of cold nights, a lot of sleepless nights to earn the coveted ranger tab. Before long, you're jumping out of airplanes with a parachute and even pass one of the hardest courses in the army with one of the lowest pass rates to become a jump master where you are in charge now that you have the responsibility of the safety and making sure everything goes off without a hitch of all those paratroopers jumping out of an airplane. Before long, you finish college, you pursue the American dream, you get a four-year degree, and you meet a beautiful American girl who is surprisingly tougher than you are. She is a collegiate runner and is training for the Olympics. The only way that you can work out with her is if you ride your bicycle to try to keep up with her because she's so fast. Um, and on top of all this, she is a doctor. Boom, great catch. Uh, so you marry her and you're traveling the world together when suddenly your high-level training is called upon to deploy to Afghanistan to lead a sniper section. So you, so you end up leaving your beautiful life, your beautiful wife, and you head off to war. And without hesitation, you do this, but the separation is tough and it's unfair, but you serve honorably and you return home, and you move past the, those hard times. Within about a year of returning home, you and your wife find out that you're pregnant with your first child. And then upon further testing, you find out it's actually triplets. Triplets. So the, the shock, the fear, and excitement all rush together at once. But then suddenly, through more testing, you find out and complications that you've lost two of those babies. And you only be having one. Devastated and questioning why, once again, you end up moving past it. And then you go on, go on, and you have a beautiful, healthy daughter, your first child. Your life is great. Your wife begins training for the Olympics, Olympics again after her uh, stint from having a baby. And you've just returned from an awesome trip to Hawaii. Life is wonderful. But you've been going to the doctor because you've been having some minor issues trying to figure out what it is. And then you finally get the word, the big bombshell word, that it's cancer. Not only is it cancer, but you have stage four cancer. You're at the peak of your life, and now you're fighting with everything to beat the shocking diagnosis. But after the diagnosis, you decide something different. You're going to do something different than most of the world would. You decide that you're not going to blame God. You're going to lean on his promises. You're not going to curse him, but you're going to use this situation to praise his name even louder. And when the unbelievers look on this and when the world looks on this, they're going to ask you the same things. They ask the questions, why? That, and it just seems that it's so unwise, and they're going to sign words like foolishness to that type of scenario. Now I want you to think about a third scenario. So let's say for the sake of argument that you have an unprecedented power and you create a planet with little beings that are created in your image. The only reason you create them was because you want a relationship with these people. You want to love them and be loved in return, but then they turn your, their back on you. Even worse, they bring nothing but corruption, violence, deceit, disease, and death to this beautiful planet that you've created. However, you step back and you watch it unfold, but your heart is still there, and you want to do something to set things right again. And you realize that in order to do that, somebody needs to be punished. Someone needs to die. But instead of causing the people of this planet to die, you decide that you will lay down your life for them. Even crazier, you allow a group of Roman occupiers and religious fanatics to strip you naked, you the God of the universe, spit on you, beat you, and nail you to a piece of wood. You have done nothing wrong but you take on all the wrong that has ever been done onto your physical body, allowing it to die and be buried with you once and for all. And the world's going to assign numerous words to this. They're going to call this crazy, unwise, and even foolish. 
But I want you guys to hear what one man responded to this very act that we saw in scenario three. And it's what we read today in 1 Corinthians verse one, or chapter one, verse eight. The apostle Paul says this, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed towards destruction. But we, are, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligence. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look so foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Those are Hard words from the Apostle Paul. And to really appreciate that letter that Apostle Paul is writing to us, we need to understand who he's writing to in the letter to the Corinthians. So he's writing to the Corinthians. They live in the city of Corinth. And it had a population of about 600,000 people. So it was a major metropolitan city. Um, And this city was very magnificent. They spent a lot of time building up. There was a lot of wealth there. It was a major port city, and the streets were even paved with stones that we would use to show how wealthy we are. Uh, it was just a major industrial area, a major port city, and that is how people showed how important they are, by their status. So people are constantly jockeying for, so, jockeying for social status. And what the people did there to one-up one another was they would build buildings, build roads, and they put their name right on the side, much like we kind of do today. And archaeology is, through many of their digs, have found many of these roads and buildings just with a person's first and last name on it. But there was also two other things that were very important in the city of Corinth, and that was education and sexuality. In antiquity, there was no city that had a bigger complex of temples dedicated to a, a Greek god than in Corinth. And specifically, they were all dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. At these temples, you could find thousands of prostitutes hired by the government so you could offer sexual sacrifices to this goddess. This culture was so depraved, despite, being, despite how sophisticated they actually were. They valued education. They created and invented many things. They studied philosophy, and they made tons of money. Yet they still fell back into this ascent, in a sin that they accepted as an entire society. They allowed themselves to be solely identified by their sexual desires. And what we find very interesting is the parallels we see between that culture and our culture today. You see, Paul had spent time in Corinth starting a church. He was working a tent-making business there. And he spent two years growing this church up, developing it, discipling it, before he moved on to another church. And later, while he was at the church of Ephesus, he gets word that the immorality of the society has started to slip into the church that he set up, this church that he loves. Some of the people that are wealthy are very much against the poor people. There's a lot of division. And the corrupt culture of self-loving, selfishness, is really taking over into the church. And the people of this church are stuck in excessive self-interest, that they are failing to serve one another. More importantly, they're failing to serve Christ. So the church is losing its foundation. It's losing its influence, of, influence to the selfish, amoral society surrounding it. So because of this, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And I believe the book of Corinthians is speaking directly to us. This is a struggle we have today. We have today. We, have to, we focus on ourselves. We live for ourselves and not for others. We believe that God truly wants us to be happy and that we can justify certain actions on this selfish view. We can do whatever we want because God truly just wants me to be satisfied when we're being called to so much more than that. And there's no way that we can live the way God created us without being able to get self under control. 
And the way the Bible describes this is that we have to die to self. Self has to be destroyed. But when our world sees, li- sees us living for the good of others, they see us die to self, live for him so that we can live for others, they're going to they're gonna assign certain words to this. They're going to call that unwise. They're going to call that foolish. So take a moment and ask yourself, what are you doing to leave behind a legacy that may seem foolish to this world but is wise to God? What is it that you're doing that lets your friends and family know that you understand the third scenario very well and that you worship a guy who died to self for us? So now we're going to come back full circle. I want to come back to scenario number one. On June 17th, during a Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina, at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, Dylan Roof opened fire with a pistol, killing nine church members. During this, Felicia Sanders was attending the Bible study with her son and five-year-old granddaughter. Dylan fired and killed the pastor, and then he turned the gun on Felicia. Her son jumped up and tried to reason with the gunman. gunman. However, he ended up shooting shooting him, and he took a bullet that was meant for his mother. Felicia then laid on top of her granddaughter, pretending to be dead as the blood of her son pooled next to her. And after the shooting and after Dylan was caught, he was arraigned at the court hearing uh, in South Carolina where the families were given the opportunity to address him directly. And so many people started wondering, what are these people going to say? What, if you were given the opportunity, what would you say? Put yourself in that, those shoes. And everybody was kind of on pins and needles. We've seen this, ha- this happen so many times in our country, the senseless violence. And we've seen riots. We've seen more violence because of it. We've seen greater division because of this these types of incidents, and it would be justified because of the horrendous tragedy that they went through. But instead, Felicia got up and she did something different. She spoke these words that I'm about to read. She said, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know, and every fiber in my body hurts, and I'll never be the same. Taiwanza Sanders is my son, but he is also my hero. But as we said in Bible study, we enjoyed you, and may God have mercy on your soul. Wow. Can you imagine saying those same things as somebody that just killed your son, killed your daughter, came into your church and shot up your friends and family? And then yet another stood up and read this. I would just like for you to know that I forgive you and my family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one that matters most to Christ, so he can change it. Change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. That was said by Anthony Thomas, whose mother, Myra, was killed by Dylan. So when the world steps back and looks at this, looks at this church, looks at this community, looks at, look at these parents, they assign different words to this. They say, this is crazy. This is unwise. This is foolishness. But for those of us who understand that third scenario, who understand Jesus, who understand the cross, understand that what is foolish to the world is actually wisdom to us as Christians. And we are all guilty and worthy of death just like Dylan, no different than Dylan. We are all guilty of those same, that same punishment. But Christ chose grace. The message of the cross is foolish for those who are headed towards destruction. But for those of us being saved, it is a very power of God. I'm going to read that scripture one more time. The message of the cross is foolish for those who are headed towards destruction. But for those of us being saved, it is the very power of God himself. So like these people, may we be wise fools this week. Because our world is getting smarter, but the question really is, is it getting any wiser? 
And now I'm going to come back to scenario two. And for that, I'd like to introduce you to my uh, good friend, Frank Vigera. Come on up here, Frank. Uh, Frank is in the Army with me. As, as uh, you heard, a lot of his background that I read earlier in scenario two. And uh, Frank's a good friend of mine and uh, ju just an all-around great guy. He's, if, you, if you're going anywhere in the military, he's the type of guy you want because he's always got a smile on his face, like right now. Always got a smile on his face. He's one of those people that encourages everyone even when you are in the worst situation possible. And on top of that, he's a, the, act, the epitome of a professional soldier. And he's a great guy to have, and I work with him on a daily basis. But uh, Frank, actually, I knew he was going through some testing. And it was real busy. I was going from thing to thing, bouncing around. And uh, Frank actually came in. He's like, hey, he comes in like normal. He's joking. He's talking. And he asks, hey, can I talk to you real quick? And I was like, yeah, sure. Come on. I'm about ready to run off to a meeting. And he comes in. He's like, hey, I got back from the doctor. I just want to let you know that I've got cancer. And I was like, cancer? And uh, really, I mean, Frank's just He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing soldier. And when you hear a diagnosis like that, it really, it really hits everyone in our unit pretty hard because it's not Frank. He's, he's the best guy we have, you know. The, this, these types of things don't happen to guys like Frank. So, um, and then I, I have to rush off to my meeting and just really derail the rest of my day. Uh, thanks, Frank. Uh, but, uh, but I asked Frank, he, he did this at his church, and I asked him to come and talk and just talk to you guys about that question of, of why. Because, I mean, even, even I had that question, and this isn't even happening to me. And I'm asking, why God? Why Frank? So can you talk a little bit about that and kind of what you're going through and a little bit about your background, too? I'm sure. I, I, thank you for I, I, That was a great background story. That you, <laughs> you, kinda, uh, you know, I, it, it's just life. That's, that's how it happened. It's, uh, you know, I, I, was I was born in the Philippines. I left when I was six years old. And uh, and my family immigrated here. I turned 13 here in the U.S., uh, but shortly after my parents divorced, uh, he, uh, my father took off back to the Philippines, and now it's my, my, my mother and I with a suitcase. With, you know, they give you, what, two suitcases and a carry-on, you know, and we had to build a life from there. Um, but through the grace of God, uh, I, you know, I made, we made a life here. My, my mother, who took on that burden, made a life here for me. Um, she remarried eventually, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I, she couldn't afford college, so I joined the military uh, just, just for the college experience, and, uh, uh, but I really enjoyed it, and it was one of those things that, you know, I joined the military to give back to a country that's given so much back to me, you know, and I've made a life in that, in that sense. Uh, it's given me the opportunity to go to college, meet my, and after that, meet my wife, uh, go to some of the cool schools that we go to, you they're know. Terrible, uh, they're yeah, terrible they're cool. schools, but they're kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, after, after the fact. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I've, I've been very successful in my life in the way I, I think is successful. Um, I try to do right. I've always been a man of service. Um, first of all, service to my God, uh, service to my country, and service to my fellow man. You know, that's, that's just the way I've been raised. Um, and I think because of that, it's, 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 afforded me the uh, it's afforded me many different things. Uh, I, I feel as, as a man of service, it's, it's a great thing. Um, one day, uh, I, I, actually it was uh, several months in the making, I started getting some issues, uh, uh, GI issues, and I was like, this isn't right, so I better go see the doctor. Um, a lot of the doctors says, well... I went to a GI specialist. He was like, well, you guys do travel quite a bit. We, we recently came back from Hawaii, and prior to that, we went to the Dominican Republic. Uh, he goes, maybe you have Giardia or something like that. 
Uh, so we're going to put you on some antibiotics, and that didn't work. So they did a colonoscopy, and, and uh, it turned out to be cancer, colorectal cancer. Uh, but, you know, nothing to worry about. You're a young guy. You're 36 years old. We'll fight this, and it looks like it's just right there. Um, so stage one, stage two cancer. Uh, they did a CT scan. Uh, looks like it's a little bit progressed a little bit more. Stage three. They did a PET scan. Stage four. So stage four cancer at 36 years old is what I received. Um, so uh, one thing, though, that, you know, I could have done was um, at 36 years old receive this, receive this diagnosis and say, Lord, I've done everything thus far in my life right by what I think is right and but what I feel is if you wanted me to do. Um, I could have re easily just turned around and questioned, Lord, why, why would you do this to me, you know? But he didn't give me that opportunity. Uh, he didn't, he honestly, I, there's no, I wasn't given that. From that moment I received that stage four cancer diagnosis, he didn't give me any inch to even question why. What he did instead was he pulled me closer to his heart. And he just pushed, pushed my face into his chest and gave me this peace that I just, I never, ever felt in my life. Even, even, in, even in Afghanistan, even in any other part of my life, even, he just, I don't know how to describe it to you guys. Um, he did not give me that opportunity to ask him why. And truthfully, my belief is that to ask God why um, is... It's kind of, it serves no purpose. It serves no purpose. For even if, if he were to tell me, Frank, this is why, and he were to extend his infinite wisdom, and just, I could not understand it. I, don't, I would not even understand his, his great plan at hand. It would be so past me that I, I, I'd be dumbfounded, to tell you the truth. So to ask to me, for me at least, for me, to ask God why is kind of a, 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 a moot point. Instead, if you just take and understand that there's a plan at hand, that he is there with you. Because one thing I've learned in life through ranger school and whatnot, you know, when I was in ranger school, my prayers was not to, Lord, get me through ranger school. You know, it was one of the toughest trainings we've, we've both been through. It's like, and, I, and the prayer generally would be, Lord, get me through this. My prayer was never that. It's, Lord, let your will be done through me. And if that, at the end of it, I come out on top, so be it. But if I fail, I hope that his plan is, his, is accomplished. And that's the same way I, I, I see this. Lord, let your plan be, let your will be done in me. And you know what? By, by not asking him why and just saying, Lord, let your will be done, it has afforded me. It, it, is, it has been an amazing experience. It's what, been... You want to talk about uh, JB and then also your friends setting up the... Sure. Uh, you know, so about the second week, first week into um, chemo. and So I'm doing, I'm, I'm seven weeks now into chemo and radiation. Uh, Monday will be my last day of radiation and of, of radiation. I will have some chemo afterwards. Um, about the first week, uh, I woke up one morning, um, 
I, of course, we shared the news to our, some of our close friends. Um, one, that, that Monday, um, excuse me, let me take you back a little bit to kind of give you guys a little bit of understanding on this. Uh, like I said, the Lord will, will, will supply you with the necessary tools that you need for whatever you're about ready to go through if you just say, Lord, let your will be done. I was reading my devotion on that uh, Sunday morning, and my devotional simply said that, know that I am a, a God of abundance, and my ability to bless you is unlimited. And I read that that Sunday morning. Next Monday, as I was about ready to start the second week of my chemo and radiation, my phone just starts going off, just buzzing away. I normally keep it on silent. And uh, I was like, oh, man, it's early in the morning. Put it down, didn't even check it. Buzz, buzz, buzz again, kept on going. And I was like, what is going on? So I checked it. So my friends um, set up a, a you caring account for me. Um, and uh, it started, I was like, what is going on? And it's like somebody made a $50 donation. And it went off. I was like, oh, how great of my friends to do so, you know. And uh, midday, you know, $1,000. It, it, it keeps on building. But week and a half, it was $30,000. That is God's abundance and blessing. It, I didn't even know anything about it until that morning that my phone buzzed. And, and it, that has been a blessing. It has allowed us to consult some, some, some uh, holistic doctors and whatnot. And these doctors are pre generally pretty expensive to talk to. Um, but anyway, uh, the other thing that he's blessed me with is a guy like Adam and also my, uh, my, uh, my first sergeant, my former first sergeant, um, who has gone through cancer himself, who, who sends me messages like, um, I wish I could, I, I, my phone's actually back there, but he told me, he goes, hey, keep your head up. You're doing, you're doing, a, you're doing a good thing, and people see God through you, and this is just another chapter in your life, he says. You know, a chapter where a kid, or a book of where a kid who grew up in the Philippines eating duck eggs to coming to the United States and becoming an airborne ranger to a man who beats cancer and then becomes a grandfather. I mean, what, little blessings like that, God has completely surrounded me with. And so, why, why ask why when you know you're taken care of? You know? Can we pray for you, Frank? Absolutely. Thank you. Let's bow our heads. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for Frank and just what he means to me as a person, but also what he means to all those around him. Uh, just your joy is constantly radiating through him, and it's, and it's just, it catches like fire to all those. And people see that there's something different about him, God, and that there's something unwise and something foolish about the way that he uh, carries himself at times, but we know it's because of the joy that he has in you, God. And we know that you are the great physician and the great provider, God, and we just ask for healing for Frank and just echo his prayer, God, that whatever it is, your will be done. And we just thank you for his testimony and his witness, God. And we just, we just ask that we can be people just like that and see this and go off into our own community, our own families with our own issues and problems, God, and just, and just be joyful fools and just be wise fools, God, for you. 
The things that we do may not be wise to the world, but we know that they are to you, God. And just let us be able to stand up and be for the things that you are for, God. And we just thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, in that third scenario who died for us and took upon the weight of the world so that we didn't have to, God. And we just thank you so much for that. It's your holy name we pray. Amen.